welcome to Translation Confidential. This is Peter Argandizo, and I'm with Patrick Daly, and we're going to discuss uh, a bit about Google Translation, uh, machine translation, automated solutions, sort of some wide-ranging topics. Um, I thought maybe we would get started with something that we've seen uh, from a lot of our customers lately, and that's requests about the deprecation of the Google Translation widget. So in other words, if you've ever been to a website that has a little widget in the right-hand corner and it has sort of like 70 languages, if there's that many languages, more than likely they haven't actually human translated. Sometimes you'll actually even see the little Google icon. So you'll know that what you do by selecting one of those languages is it's automatically pulling translation from Google and serving it up as a translated version of the site. So remember, that's all machine translation driven. Now, Google has recently announced that they're deprecating that widget. So what does that mean? That means that if you already have it on the site, they'll allow you to use it for a bit longer. They've been a little bit nondescript about when they're going to drop it. Um, but at this point, no new implementations of that widget are allowed. So that leaves a hole in the market. Um, Patrick, what have you seen? What have you heard from clients about the, uh, about the deprecation? Yeah, so usually the output of the Google widget is pretty miserable in terms of translation. Um, Could you tell us how you really feel? <laughs> a lot of clients, uh, and some of them even get bad feedback from users who try to use their site, and their users are like, hey, we really can't understand what you're saying on here. So it really puts them in a bad spot, um, at least public relations-wise, where they are getting kind of a bad reputation because their translation doesn't look so good. And what that means to your users is, this is how much we think you're worth. So when they use machine translation, they're thinking, eh, they don't really care about this market in a different language because they don't care enough to spend to make the investment in that market to give them the correct language. So I should probably add, you know, Patrick's naturally brilliant and he's got great ideas, but why does he have this uh, this sort of a body of knowledge or this level of experience? He is a project manager here at Argo Translation and has been for some time and handles a lot of website uh, projects, including those that are highly technical in terms of the connection points and automation of workflows. So he has a, a good body of knowledge to tap into uh, when discussing the topic. Um, Patrick, great point. In terms of that, I, I think it'd be interesting to dive a little bit deeper on that because I think, I mean, I get why people do this, right? There's uh, companies that are saying, hey, I have a limited budget. Uh, I don't have the time. I don't have the bandwidth. I don't have the money to invest in doing a full translation of the site. So that being said, um, you know, are there other alternatives? Alternatives? Is there a different way to do this? Where, hey, Google's not going to work. Obviously, it's been deprecated. What are some of the other choices? Sure, absolutely. So um, we'll start with machine translation and kind of go through the levels of service. So that's obviously all automatic translation. It can either be neural or straight up machine translation. Then there's a service called machine translation with post editing. So what would happen there is you'd get the machine translation and then send that to a linguist to edit. So that obviously is going to be a slightly better quality because they'll be fixing the machine translation. The next highest level would be translation only. So rather than the traditional two linguists on a project, you just have one linguist. So usually that's a pretty safe bet. Um, it's a good mix of budget and professionalism. And then the last one would be translation and editing, which is the highest level of service where you'd get the best sort of outcome. Great. Well, that, I mean, it sounds like there's some options there. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, maybe for our listeners to understand a little bit about the machine translation and how it works. You had mentioned neural versus, um, you know, straight up translation, machine translation, or what people will call statistical often. Um, 
I think it's important that we sort of describe the difference. So sort of the advent of neural machine translation and how um, people can train those engines. Like, how does that work? How do you train an engine? What do you mm -hmm. feed into it to make it smarter? So neural machine translation would use any existing translation memory, which is anything that's been translated before, and use that as a basis. So that would be, you know, kind of locked in content of those translations being correct. And then they'd also have maybe a validation stage where if they have an editor on hand, they'll go through machine translation and then edit it up to stuff and then they'll approve it. And then the neural engine will learn from that and keep using that going forward. How about glossaries? I know we spend a fair amount of time building glossaries for clients. Is that something that you can feed in mm -hmm. as well? Absolutely. You can feed those in and be the same process as a translation memory. Great. And so if people are considering this, I mean, let's maybe dig a little bit deeper on those levels of service. So we, we spent a little time talking about budget and what constraints are, so why clients might make a decision to use machine translation. Um, are there some other ideas? You know, I, I mean, there's an obvious one, right? You know, translate less, you know, instead of translating your entire site, hey, do I need to have the news pages done? Do I need to have the blog pages done? You know, what are some things that someone should be thinking about so they can sort of minimize their budget? Yeah, so like you mentioned, really hammering down the scope of what pages or types of content you're going to want translated. A lot of places won't translate blog posts, like you mentioned, because they won't really apply outside of that market where they're native in. Um, but really just, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I, th I think really <laughs> some something that maybe to... to to think about when you're looking at the scope of this. And it's really, it doesn't have to be an absolute decision either. Um, you, you might decide that you have some sites of your site that are higher value, right? So maybe if your main navigation is made up of 10 pages, you could choose translation editing, highest level of service, highest quality. You know, those are the pages that people most often visit. Um, what about, I know we've made some recommendations for our clients to look at analytics. You know, perhaps they could look at their analytics and see what are the most popular pages. And you can even look at the countries and say, all right, where are we getting traffic? Or you could look at even what language is set on the browser for the pages that they're hitting and then determine, all right, you know, really hammer down that scope. These are the pages we're going to do in French. These are the pages we're going to do in Spanish because that's what we can afford. We're going to minimize the scope. And that might be something that's worthwhile. Um, MT with editing's not a terrible idea, right? I mean, we've got some clients that pursue that. Mm -hmm. Another thought I just had, too, is you can maybe prioritize the pages as you need them. Maybe do a couple pages every quarter where you're gaining traction, like Peter said, and kind of batch the pages in and kind of do translations on a rolling basis rather than everything at once. Um, I know one of the things that I'm just thinking you know, playing devil's advocate, uh, what a client might say is, well, I guess I don't understand. If we're doing machine translation and we're, machine translation, we're having a human edit it, like what are some of the things that I should be concerned about? Why would that be terrible? I guess it looks like Spanish. Uh, why should someone be concerned about MT with editing? Mm -hmm. So a lot of professional translators really kind of detest machine translation because it's a little bit of an insult to their profession. They're, they've gone through training, they've gone to school for this, and it's something they take pride in. So one thing to watch out for is, you know, as they go through and they're editing machine translation, they might get sick and tired of seeing the same thing, so they might develop a little bit of fatigue. So they go, eh, it's good enough, so I'll just leave it, rather than really taking a strong look at that and editing really with a good fresh set of eyes on it. Um, and like I said, it's some people really don't like it, but some people do make a living off it. So there are people who will do machine translation with post-editing. 
And I think it's important to know, like I always like to think of either the motivations of the people that are working on your projects or our projects and, um, you know, are they being fairly compensated and what's the level of work? Because I, I know we do a great deal, like just thinking of all of our projects, right? We do a great deal of work to make it easy for the translator to plow through and just focus on the terminology, the the language, so they don't have to worry about you know, for example, superfluous tags or sort of the technical issues. We want them to focus on language. So that's always sort of been my beef with MT and editing is um, that fatigue factor that you talked about, certainly. But also, it's such a small, typically, it's a small amount that they're being paid. So if you look at what a translator can do in a day, I can, be a, uh, I can do regular first-line translation and make this amount per hour, or I can do MT and editing and make this amount per hour, and I'm a firm believer that you get what you paid for, right? So if you're, if, number one, if you can't get that top tier of translators to work on the project, you take them out completely, they're not going to work on it. So now you're, really you have to think of who you're tapping into, who are the translators that are typically living in that environment as MT editors? usually people with lower experience. So I think these are things that the client has to think about. Right. I mean, it's... And something to consider, too, is sometimes when you get a machine translation, the linguists will have to, and they're editing it, they'll have to basically blow up that segment and start over again. So at that point, you might be better served with just a translation-only workflow. You'll get a better output, and it will take a little bit less time because they won't have to see this, like, ah, I don't like this translation, now I need to start over. They'll just be starting from scratch from the start. And like Peter mentioned, they'll be much more efficient and move through the work faster. And I think if, if we can make a recommendation to clients when they're looking at these level of services, right? If you're, if you're buying translation, um, carefully consider all the ramifications. And certainly your provider should be able to go over them with you. And for me, one of the most important aspects is that level of transparency. I think all too often there are language service providers out there who are not being transparent. They use this MT approach with editing and they don't bother, bother telling you. So make sure that that's covered in the scope of the project. If you're getting a proposal, make sure it's not just a paragraph that says translation of X, Y, or Z. Make sure that they're covering the steps. Make sure that they're going over exactly what's happening. Are they telling you what the pedigree of your translation is? If you're paying good money for the translation, you really should understand you know, where does it come from. So I, I think that's, you know, maybe a, for me, that I think that's a good one. Do you have, do you have another, any other suggestions? No, I mean, definitely know what you're buying. Um, ask if, you, if you're not sure or if it's not clear on any proposals you're receiving. And also, I mean, another thing to look into is any ISO certifications that your vendor might hold. Under certain certifications, machine translation is not allowed. So that's something you need to consider when you're buying as well. And, and going a little bit deeper on that, I mean, understanding uh, the value of free, right? I mean, I think uh, going back to the Google widget, uh, you know, understood that understanding that you just had to have a Google account and sign up for it and you could activate the widget uh, with a little bit of help from your developer. And wow, lo and behold, you have 72 languages of translation on your website for free. Um, understand that there, there, there really is no free lunch, right? And that translation isn't excluded from that topic. Um, but know that you're also expressing that opinion to your customers. I mean, that to me, that's something that, you know, all too often we get customers say, boy, we spent, we spent months developing this website in English and it's phenomenal. We've really, we've really done the work. This is going to be great. Uh, can we have the translation for free? I mean, really that, that's, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And also, if you are putting that Google widget up there anyway, you're expressing to your customers that 
they're really not worth the investment. In other words, I didn't really feel like doing this in a human translation. So I'm just doing this little widget that I get for free from Google. And that's about the amount of effort that I want to put in. And I think that's apparent to the customer. Right. It's like you mentioned, I mean, companies spend lots of time and energy and money developing their websites. And then when it comes to translation, basically someone has to do that same amount of work in another language. So it is a significant investment, but the payoffs are there. um, So it's definitely worth it to get your content translated. But it's just important that you understand that another person has to do all of this work in a similar amount of work than what you had to do to make that source website. And I think it's important that maybe we go over a little bit about sort of those ramifications of free as well. So not only did we talk about the customer facing ramifications, but there are other ones, right? So um, why don't we talk a little bit about what, what happens what happens when I do that, when I allow Google to index the content on my site, or I use Google Translate to actually do a machine translation via their API, what happens to my content? Where does that go? Yeah, so with Google specifically, um, there's a limitation on privacy. So basically when you upload to the Google widget, that becomes public domain. So anything up there is basically up for grabs in terms of privacy. There are other MT engines that do have um, better privacy policies, but that's something you definitely need to consider. So if there's sensitive information on your site or in your documents that you're using machine translation for, it's really important you know what's happening once you upload that information. And um, an interesting point is the uh, there was an article, it was a few years ago on Slater, where there was a company that um, used another prominent translation company, publicly traded uh, translation company, so quite large, pinch larger than, uh, than us. Um, and they uh, had a very uh, significant terms and conditions, and in the terms and conditions, it spelled out that uh, machine translation could be used and that uh, it could be part of the public domain. But of course, the client, like most good users, don't read the terms and conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they clicked yes, and they uploaded some documents, which were HR-related documents and quite private. And lo and behold, uh, it became public knowledge that those were available via Google search. So obviously, uh, that was a huge issue for the company, the customer, as well as the translation service provider. So. You know, certainly buyer beware. If you are using MT or your provider is using MT, please go over how they're sourcing that. So, for example, Microsoft's Azure, um, uh, if you're using their API and the custom translator, it, it is not part of public domain. Right, and we see those kind of documents all the time, whether it's a company talking about a merger or acquisition that you know maybe isn't public information yet. It's definitely important to keep that stuff private until you, you as a company deem it's time to release that information. That's great. So, yeah, unknowingly. You know, you could essentially put that into the public domain, uh, which really brings up the idea of legal concerns as well. So um, what I was thinking of was the idea of due diligence or uh, the appropriate amount of effort. I was thinking that we, you know, we work with a lot of clients that uh, work in high risk environments, whether it's heavy equipment or medical equipment. And, you know, what are they what are you doing? Are you putting the right amount of energy in if something were to happen and the product, uh, there's a mistranslation of the product and someone were to be injured. Think of this. If if you wouldn't have confidence to say in front of a court that we use the proper amount of due diligence based on the risk, then you should really be thinking about that, right? I mean, if you simply say, yeah, we just machine translated, it was free. That hardly seems like the right amount of due diligence relative to the translation of a high-risk product. I know for sure, when we use machine translation, you know that's usually doesn't work with our the the workflows, the the appropriate workflows we have in our ISO registration. So um, 
Yeah, I, I guess I again, buyer beware, right? Any any other legal concerns? Or I think that was interesting the story that you shared uh, among the team about uh, the mistranslated phrase that Google recently. Uh... Right. So with the recent political situation in China and Hong Kong, um, this case came up where it was discovered by users that during uh, some protests in Hong Kong, Google was mistranslating the phrase that said, I am sad to see Hong Kong become a part of China to I am happy to see Hong Kong become a part of China. So it brought up a bunch of ethical concerns with Google itself, but also how it's interesting how Google gets something so wrong and just be completely the opposite of what the users were trying to get to. And that was using machine translation. Um, so that was just a very interesting recent news article that kind of highlights the pitfalls of machine translation. Yeah, and some of it because it's community driven, right? You know, we've talked about that, that there are some... Um, platforms, uh, like in the early days of Facebook, when they were doing, I, I think they still do to some extent, crowdsourcing of their translation, that really what they're doing is relying on the crowd to perform validation. So it would sort of work like if it was Patrick and I, and we were in the crowd, and it was just the two of us, Patrick would translate something, and then would come to me for validation. Now, of course, imagine it's a much larger crowd, and there's some randomness built in. But, you know, there's many documented cases of malfeasance around that. So the same goes with uh, really the, the Google translation engine in the sense that it is community fed to a certain extent. So, um, you know, that's, that's really something for the buyer to be concerned about. So you have those legal concerns, you have the customer facing concerns we talked about and privacy issues. I mean, essentially, um, you know, there's that way to game the system. Um, to look back a little bit, I think it's important to also cover, you know, how did this happen? Yeah, so, I've been doing this 25 years now, and of course, when we first started, <laughs> we were doing flush left translation off of a hard copy and just typing it into a WordPerfect, into a word processor. Uh, that was high tech. So <laughs> now we're obviously in a very, very different domain. And I think, you know, obviously as the market swells, it seems like there's more and more translation. Um, you know, Patrick, would you say that, you know, what, what are some of the concerns around price? I mean, you're seeing it, right? With right. Clients. I mean, it, it, basically all comes down to price with machine translation it is the cheapest option usually uh, agencies will charge a penny or two for a machine translation per word so it's much much cheaper um, so it does seem kind of like a race to the bottom but what's interesting to me is that some buyers will race to the bottom on price and then expect the high quality so it's kind of interesting to me um, what buyer expectations are so like we've been talking about the whole time, it's really important to consider what you're getting and what price that comes at. Certainly there's levels of service that will meet any budget, but it's really important to understand what that budget gets you. Well, wh why don't we talk about that a bit? Um, when, when, does, when does machine translation work? I mean, obviously there's some places where it works. Sure, absolutely. So um, one of the best cases, if you just need a gist of a document, if you don't really need to know what everything says word for word, it doesn't need to be perfect. So maybe you get an RFP from a foreign country and you need to see if your um, your company needs to respond to it. So maybe you'll machine translate, let's say, 500 pages and get the gist of it. And be like, eh, this really doesn't apply to us. Or maybe you will see that, oh, this really does apply for us. Maybe we need these 10, 15 pages human translated. So really what the best case use is for gisting. We really don't recommend anything that's going to be customer-facing or um, you know that's going to be out there to employees or anything like that because the quality is so low compared to human translation. So there are, like you mentioned, valid uses for machine translation. 
And I'm also thinking of, um, you know, when we work with clients in the translation of their websites and they don't necessarily have operations abroad. Um, now, of course, you're putting up this website and you invariably have a contact us form or a way, maybe it's via chat or whatever it is that people are going to interact with you. So now if I'm, if I'm publishing in a foreign language, obviously people are going to try to interact with me. And, um, you know, I know we've recommended machine translation as a good way to just see what people are saying. So someone sends in a contact us note, uh, you can quickly machine translate that, sort of get the gist of it, figure out, because it can be spammy, right? Uh, for those of us that all have websites, we know that uh, a lot of the content that we get through a contact us, some of it might be completely irrelevant. So why, why spend money on something until you know that it's uh, appropriate to right. respond. And if something actionable comes through that, then you can maybe get a human translate and see what they're really saying and take the appropriate response if there's something that that customer needs. So um, you know, going back to the idea of the market a little bit, um, obviously that you know, with this expansion in translation and with you know, the world obviously getting smaller and smaller, there's more of a need. So I think one of the things that I would love to paint is the idea that there is a solution out there for everyone. And certainly MT could be a part of that solution, but I would say you have to be wary that it's not the entire solution. Um, how about some of these, uh, there's, there's also sort of these other, uh, ideas of these do it yourself platforms that are out there, Patrick, if you could talk a little bit about sort of Uber for translation, I guess. Sure. So those work in certain circumstances, again, like machine translation, uh, but what those do is really take the work off of your project manager, whoever's working with you at your translation agency, and putting it that work back onto yourself. So that's just one consideration. Another one is project managers usually have a lot of experience in working with translations. They might catch things that you might not know as a, an outside user. So it's really important. We at Argo certainly value the project managers and the input they have on any documents and on the projects even before they start. So there's a lot of little things that a project manager might catch that you as an outside buyer may not be aware of. Great. Yeah, I, I would imagine, um, you know, we'll sort of see the Uberization of translation and there will be more of those platforms coming forward. But again, I think there's a place for those services, um, but it's just not the right solution for everybody. For someone who has very complex projects and doesn't have the bandwidth to do their own project management, essentially, uh, that's a terrible idea. Right? right. And certain types of documents too might not be the best for those platforms because certain documents are, are hard to translate. And then what do you need back? Do you need a perfectly formatted document? Um, there's a lot of considerations that we feel at least that project managers can positively contribute to your project. Great. Great. Well, I think we've covered the topic pretty well. I'm curious, Patrick, what would be your number one takeaway? What would be your number one point out of uh, today's podcast? Yeah, I would say, um, like you mentioned before, there is a level of service for everyone. It just depends on your budget and what you're expecting. So it's really important to define that and then um, communicate that to your translation agency. Because a lot of people will uh, will put our best foot forward on the first one. We'll assume you want translation and editing. You know, you want the best possible product. If that's not the case, that's perfectly fine. But we just need to know that so we can tailor our solutions to meet what you need. Great. For me, um, I think the number one takeaway would be this idea of transparency. I think the devil's in the details. Uh, I think as a buyer, you have to be very, very um, well-informed. You have to understand what MT is, what MT engine is this person trying to use, what human intervention, what level of qualifications do those humans that are intervening, you know, are they qualified to do this editing work? Um, 
what are the what are the risks if there's an error for the specific project and how are those being mitigated by the translation service provider so i think really just going in with eyes wide open is super important um so that's it for this episode of our podcast and we look forward to joining you soon